The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. What is going on here? Do you think the military took him out? I don't see how they could. Because they wouldn't cross that line? Because in my experience, huge bureaucracies don't act with that kind of efficiency. Well, that's comforting. No wild theories about the military-industrial complex? I just don't want to believe my country could do something like this. Me neither. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, October 7th, 2021. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. I just don't want to believe my country could do something like this. I've been hearing some version of this sentiment a lot lately, and it continues to be an obstacle to many people, preventing them from accepting the reality of the political crisis that we are all in. A couple of weeks back, our broadcast was entitled Healthcare Fascism, A Prescription for Hate. Today, we take a closer look at that prescription in action. Political fascism. The left is baring its teeth, and from Canada's Prime Minister Trudeau, and America's Joe Biden to the average small-town daily newspaper columnist, the hatred and intolerance spewing forth from their respective camps is shameful and unconscionable. Talk about hate. And that is what we'll be talking about right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform and visit us at justrightmedia.org where you can access all of Just Right's social media links and our archive broadcasts. As always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. Now I hate to tell you this, but hate is alive and well in the mainstream media. And my chosen illustration of this begins with Canada's recently held federal election. You may recall that those of us in Canada went to the polls in a federal election held this past September 20th. The results of that election ended in a virtually unchanged parliament. The country went into the election under a minority liberal government led by Justin Trudeau and came out of the election with a minority liberal government led by Justin Trudeau. Same difference, right? (laughs) Well, yes but not quite. The election served as a catalyst for some fundamental changes that have forced both the mainstream media and the mainstream political parties to no longer ignore the People's Party of Canada, the PPC. And the PPC, while still not winning a seat in its second election, nevertheless tripled its vote count from the previous election held only two years ago while every other party in the federal election registered a decrease in support from the previous election. Needless to say, this troubles the establishment in a way that could not possibly have been better expressed than by an utterly offensive and hateful editorial that appeared in the London Free Press on September 25th. I couldn't believe what I was reading. Its author was identified as Selma Toba, described in the editorial as a community development worker at the London Intercommunity Health Centre and has been active in a number of Muslim community organizations in the city. Now, I offer 
this editorial as Exhibit A to illustrate the hateful onslaught against the right that can be expected to be intensified over the coming period ahead. And although this unconscionable diatribe has been directed against the PPC, it also serves as Exhibit B, an illustration of the effectiveness of political action even when electoral wins are still elusive. Now, this isn't one of those editorials I can just read through in its entirety and then offer my comments at the end in response. There's too, too many things wrong with it. There's so much wrong with the following editorial that I'm about to share with you. I'm going to find myself stopping at almost every other sentence to make a comment. So the article was entitled, Emboldened People's Party Will Survive Long After the Pandemic and as I said, was written by Selma Toba in the Free Press on September 25th, and I quote, I remember after the 2019 federal election celebrating the People's Party of Canada's poor performance and Maxime Bernier losing his seat. It felt like a fitting end for a party that had no business playing ball in the Canadian political spectrum. Okay, end quote. Already I've got a, a beef to pick. To say that an officially registered political party, with a near full slate of candidates, all supported by Canadian voters, quote-unquote, has no business being in the Canadian political spectrum, is as anti-democratic an expression of intolerance as I've ever heard. What's her reason for saying this? She doesn't tell us. And not only is there no political spectrum in Canada's parliaments, there isn't even a political polarity. Forget about imaginary spectrums. Every single party sits squarely on the left, and along comes the PPC, and suddenly, one of these things is not like the others, and an actual political polarity is suddenly created where none existed before. That's good news as far as I'm concerned. But I continue, quote, I hoped it signaled Canada's rejection of Bernier's foolish experiment. Those with more wisdom and foresight than me were not so quick to rejoice at the party's losses if the goal was not to win seats, but to legitimize far-right discourse in the mainstream than by those measures the PPC won. I hope to dismiss this trepidation of cynicism, but I don't think I can deny the alarm any longer, end quote. Now, now consider her admission here. Not only does she not want to hear or see any discourse from the right where political freedom and capitalism are represented, Toba has acknowledged that a political party is an effective way for the right to force itself into the mainstream narrative. And that's exactly why so many candidates said they ran for the PPC, to force the discussion onto the platform, onto the stage, the discussion that has been censored by the left and forcing it back into the political arena. And it worked. And so much for the cynics, both left and right. Quote, About 800,000 Canadians voted for the PPC this election, close to three times as many as in 2019. A major rallying point was policy surrounding COVID-19 and the pandemic. The party platform called for an end to mask mandates, authoritarian sanitary measures, and vaccine passports, claiming there was no impact on the spread of COVID, despite firm support and evidence from the experts, end quote. Well, first of all, the PPC did not say, that despite firm support and evidence from the experts. The reference to firm support and evidence from experts was Toba's own fake fact check. 
especially since there is zero evidence that anything the government has mandated has had any effect on anything viral. And especially since there is an avalanche of evidence of the harm done by both the lockdowns and the vaccines. Quote, As someone who volunteers in campaigns, it was clear as I canvassed that pandemic measures were a factor for those intending to vote PPC. I wondered, however, if they fully knew what they were supporting, end quote. Well, to that I would say, yeah. They understood that the PPC would end the, the evil pandemic laws, and they understood that all of the other parties in the Canadian political spectrum, blah, blah, were in favor of fascism. I wonder if Toba understands what she is supporting, though she never identified the party she canvassed for. Quote, This is a party, she's referring to the PPC, whose signatories upon formation included former members of Pegida, soldiers of Odin, and the National Alliance. For readers unfamiliar with the spectrum of white supremacist groups, <laughs> here's the spectrum again, these represent the trifecta of the bad organizations with racist, Islamophobic, and anti-immigrant visions. Furthermore, a Toronto Star inquiry recently found that internet chat rooms for similar far-right groups were encouraging supporters to vote PPC in this election. While PPC spokespeople say the party disavows racism, the support from white supremacist groups begs the question why racists seem drawn to the PPC, end quote. Well, I guess I'm one of those far-right groups that was encouraging people to vote PPC. You know, a political party or any popular or public person or movement cannot be identified by its followers or its fans who come from every possible quote-unquote spectrum of classifications you can possibly conjure. Guilt by association, especially when one side of that association has no control over that association, is immoral. What interests me more is why... Why were there people like me drawn to the PPC? Why were people like an actual framer of Canada's constitution, Brian Peckford, drawn to the PPC? Why were thousands of doctors, nurses, and other professionals drawn to the PPC? And you know how I, how I would expect that someone like Toba would answer that question? Well, because we're all racists and white supremacists. You know, that way it becomes a useful circular argument. The real question that begs asking is why all of the parties in the legislature are so glaringly racist themselves and why no one calls them out for it. They're obsessed with race, identity, politics, and the fictions of group rights. It's, it's, it's obsessive. Racism is a 100% symptom of the left, and it could not be otherwise, for by definition, the left represents collectivism and the right represents individualism. The essence of individualism doesn't even acknowledge the existence of race, let alone make a person's skin color an issue of any sort, or for that matter, his vaccine status, if you want to apply the principle you know, to our current concerns. Collectivists think in terms of groups, identity politics, race, sex, vaccine, status, and whatever other possible collective around which they can invent false and imaginary rights. And by the way, only individual rights are possible. Those are the only kind that exist. Group rights or collective rights are a complete fiction. In fact, they're not rights at all, but privileges, which was a subject discussed on the show last week by lawyer Bruce Party. 
The real question is, why was there such a broad spectrum of ethnic and racial groups supporting the PPC? I mean, when I attended the PPC Gatineau conference in 2019, I never saw a more racially represented crowd. Felt more like an international conference than a Canadian one. But this is not what the left wants anyone to see or know. And in answering why racists seem drawn to the PPC, Toba wrote, quote, The answer, I believe, lies in the party's online platform, which consists of many anti-immigration and anti-refugee stances shared by these same far-right groups. Furthermore, the PPC champions free speech, stopping at the explicit use of force against identifiable groups, failing to recognize how building a climate of fear and frenzy can lead to violence, even without advocating for violence, end quote. I just couldn't believe what I was reading by this point in her diatribe. <laughs> building a climate of fear and frenzy? Really? The PPC? Through freedom of speech? Talk about projection. Governments the world over have been building a climate of fear and frenzy, and the PPC, I can tell you, is not fielding any candidates anywhere outside of Canada. And nor do those other governments allow for freedom of speech. Freedom of speech is the means by which to eliminate a climate of fear and frenzy, a climate caused by the one-sided monologue of ceaseless propaganda that openly threatens those who challenge the official narrative. Not exactly... Peace and calm inducing, I would say. And by the way, the PPC does not have an anti-immigration policy. That is a, a pure lie. Quote, By calling this election in a time of so much uncertainty, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau provided an opportunity for the PPC to organize and gain support, riding the waves of misinformation about COVID and vaccination policies. End quote. Of course, by waves of misinformation about COVID and vaccination policies, she means the waves of truth and the verifiable facts about vaccines that anyone exercising even the slightest effort can discover for themselves. And notice as well how critics on the left never offer examples or any so-called evidence of their own. Quote, It was a dangerous move for Trudeau politically, but I fear it is racialized Canadians who will bear the brunt of this risk practically, end quote. You know, this is the kind of comment that expresses an explicitly racist sentiment. And it is anti-white. As I've commented many times in the past, racialized, quote-unquote, is a euphemism for politicized, and also a way of saying non-whites, and thereby expressing one's own hatred and prejudice and racism towards white people without having to actually come out and say it, because they're all freaking cowards. Quote, we now have an emboldened populist party gaining legitimacy through the electoral process that will be here to stay long after the pandemic is over, end quote. And you know what? I don't think it could possibly find a better endorsement, not only of the PPC, but of the whole political process as a valid means to a valid end. I mean, if the enemy, if the left is so concerned about this, we must be doing something right. <laughs> quote, Watching how quickly the Canadian political discourse moved on from Islamophobia after an ideologically motivated hate crime killed the Afzal family in London just four months ago was upsetting. This national amnesia coupled with the rise of the PPC is just downright scary, end quote. Holy, what's downright scary is that she could even possibly draw such an association. To do so is evil, vile, and contemptible. Shame on her. 
This has less than zero to do with the PPC's rise in popularity or with anything it represents. Quote, It makes me wonder what it will take for Canadians to stomp out tolerance for far-right movements, rhetoric, and supporters once and for all, and how much more violence communities like mine will endure in the meantime. End quote. Wow. You couldn't possibly say it any more clearly. She wants to stomp out tolerance for far-right movements. In other words, she wants to stomp out freedom and individualism. Selma Toba hates freedom and hates the people who love freedom. And speaking of hate, here's David Freiheit of Viva Fry, who was also a PPC candidate in the last election, as heard on his October 2nd YouTube posting. All right, Winston, let's do this. It's not going to be a happy Viva on the street tonight. And it's not going to be a happy Viva on the street tonight because I've actually come to the point where I can safely say that I hate our government. I hate our government so much because they've actually caused me to question whether or not I hate my country. And I don't hate my country, but I hate my government to the point where I am now asking myself, do I hate the government or do I hate the country that is run by this government? I went bowling today. Uh, I didn't actually go bowling. I took the kids bowling and I took my three kids and one of their friends bowling. Didn't even think about the issue, the vaccine. I didn't even think about it. I just said it's a rainy Saturday. I've got three kids and one friend. What do we do? Let's go bowling. I show up to the bowling alley. I have my own balls and my own shoes, I'm proud to say. And then I see this sign on the front door. You will not be admitted entry unless you have the vaccine passport. And my stomach sunk. My stomach sunk because I don't have the app on my phone, nor will I download it. I will not download it out of protest and I will not do anything that requires this out of protest. And I walk in, I say, hopefully they won't ask me, don't ask me for the passport so that I can just get through this moment with dignity. And lo and behold, some 18 year old kid behind the counter says, I need your vaccine passport. And he pulls out an iPad to scan me. And I said, I don't have it, I'm sorry. I don't have it, I'm not showing it to you. And then he says, well, do you have any papers? And I remembered an email that I sent to my wife as a joke after I got my second vaccine shot thing. I sent the email to my wife. It was a picture of my papers. And I sent it with a message that was intended to be a joke when I sent it to her. But lo and behold, it's not a joke anymore. So this kid behind the counter says, I need to see your papers if somebody from the government comes here and catches me not asking for your papers, we'll get a big fine. And I was not enraged. I was just nauseated and disgusted because this is the world in which we live where the government has turned minimum wage employees at a bowling alley into the secret police of the government to check for the papers. And I showed him my proof. I showed him my proof and I felt like I was compromising my integrity and my soul. And the reason I did it only because I had kids there. Any other day of the week I would have been out of there and I would never go back. But I had four kids and Lord knows if I had left without the bowling that I promised on a rainy day, I would have had four kids in tears. And the question I'm asking myself as a parent, what lesson am I teaching my kids? Am I teaching them to be compliant with rules that I don't believe in? Or do I expect a five-year-old, two eight-year-olds and a 12-year-old to understand what protest is? 
Are they going to understand and appreciate what the protest against unconstitutional, unscientific, and immoral government measures is? Or am I just expected them to say, Daddy is mean and wouldn't take us bowling today? So I showed them the papers and I got in to go bowling. And yeah, it, it kind of ruined the moment. And I'm just sitting there bowling miserably. Although I did break 200 in my third game. But I'm bowling miserably saying, I hate the government because the government has made me dislike the country in which I live. And it's a disgusting relationship. And I was sitting there bowling and I'm saying, this is the relationship that an abuse victim has with their abusers. This is the relationship that a cult member has with a cult. And I'm not saying this to be hyperbolic, to be melodramatic. It is literally the relationship that a cult member has with a cult. The first thing that a cult does in order to get subservience, obedience from cult members, cuts them off from their family. It cuts them off from their friends. It cuts them off from the information that they read. And it gets them in so doing to be alienated from the world around them, to only receive information from specific sources, to not have socializing interaction, exchange of ideas with family, friends, loved ones, so that you become easier to manipulate. And we have been manipulated through fear to the point where we think now that in order to go bowling, you need a vaccine passport. And I went to this bowling alley, by the way, for everybody saying this is gonna be good for business, everyone's gonna love it, it's gonna make you feel safer. The bowling alley was empty. The bowling alley was virtually empty. There's 36 big ball lanes, and then I think there's another 30 some odd small ball lanes. There were two families in there on a Saturday, a rainy Saturday. This is not good for business. This is not good for anything. What this is good for is pitting Canadian citizens against Canadian citizens. What this is good for is promoting the fear porn paranoia that the government has been promoting for the last two years. They've gotten Canadians to believe that this divisive garbage of political policy is necessary for their own protection. And I don't know what to do. I genuinely do not know what to do to protest. It is very easy for everyone out there to say, you should have walked right out of there. Take your four kids sobbing, angry at you, and make a point. A point that the kids will never get, the bowling alley doesn't care, and only the government will appreciate by having caused further strife among citizens. And this is the beauty. They, they send me in there, and they send that employee at the bowling alley to card me. Oh, they didn't just card me, by the way. They asked for my papers, and then for identification to confirm my identity on the papers. And if I make a scene, who suffers? The population at large suffers. I suffer. The kids suffer. The bowling alley suffers. The only people who don't suffer are the government, who then get to say, look at the level of disobedience right now. We need to impose more police. We need to impose more measures. We need to impose more fines, sanctions. It is a beautiful thing where all that the government does is impose ridiculous laws, unscientific laws, divisive laws and then when people react badly they get to say whoa look at this look at how uncivil society is we get to impose more laws more restrictions like they're doing saskatchewan throughout canada australia new zealand it is absolutely depressing and i don't know what to do i don't know what to do the government has got me to the point where i question whether or not i even love my own country anymore but one thing i know for certain i loathe the government that is running this country right now
What do you do? And where do you go? And what are people going to do to pull back this drape that has been pulled over their eyes? At first, they have to realize that the drape is there. At first, they have to realize that they have been potentially manipulated. But for anybody who has ever been in an abusive relationship, for anyone who has been in the cult, I can safely say I've never been in a cult, nor have I been in an abusive relationship, but I have more experience with the abusive relationships than the cults, just as a matter of practice of law. What do you do? The first thing you do is have to make people realize. But you cannot help someone who does not want to help themselves. And this, as a lawyer, I can tell you, whether it's abuse, whether it's addiction, whether it is any number of life problems, you cannot help someone who does not want to help themselves. And you have to get people to the point where they appreciate that they need help and they want to get helped. And I say this with full reflection and insight because we all have our issues and we all have our denials and we all have, you know, the things that we are willing to, to, to pull over our own eyes. But you cannot help people who don't want to help themselves. And too many people right now have been manipulated through a solid year and a half to two years of incessant fear porn, fear mongering, to think that this is all somehow justified. And if you just go along for another day, another week, another month, another year, if you just do what the government says now and they promise your liberties, they'll give you your liberties. When we've seen from day one that this has been, if it hasn't been a lie, it's just been inaccurate. And between lies and inaccuracies, the outcome is the same, so the intention doesn't matter. Two weeks to flatten the curve, turned into two years. Masks will never be mandatory, turned into mandatory masks. Vaccines will never be mandatory, turned into mandatory vaccines, turned into vaccine passports. And we've done all of this. We've given all of these rights up under the promise, the pretext that this would get our rights back. And what has it gotten us? More restrictions, more impositions, and it doesn't look like it's getting better anytime soon. I'm gonna tell you, the only people who can say Give up your rights if you want your rights back are the government and unfortunately a populace that has been beaten into submission through fear day in and day out has gotten to the point where the equation makes sense. Give up your rights if you want your rights back. That equation never makes sense. It never will make sense. And we need people to understand that at some point in time, we're not going to get our rights back unless we demand for our rights back. I don't know when I can go bowling again. And I'm gonna have to find an excuse for the kids as to why I cannot go back to that bowling alley because I will not go back to a place that demands for my papers out of principle. And I just have to make sure that I am not sacrificing my children for my own principles because they will not understand it. And by the time they do understand it, I may not be on this earth for them to say, sorry, dad, that we got angry with you for what you did when you did it because now we understand why you did it. Judging by the empty bowling alley he described, I'm guessing that there are a lot more people than we might expect who feel some version of what David Freiheit has just expressed. When he objected to turning minimum wage employees at a bowling alley into secret police for the government to check on papers, I was reminded of the late Ted Harlson's observation about how in the Soviet Union they had a command society, which meant a society of permissions and not of freedom. Even the little doorman had such authority he could report you and ruin your life, noted Ted. Hear it for yourself on our August 5th podcast. So the question remains, what do you do and where do you go? Well, at this stage in the game, we have primarily two avenues of action available to us, expressing our alternate points of view under the umbrella of freedom of speech, 
or organizing through political activity. And yeah, there are the courts and legal challenges, but outside of class action lawsuits and very specific cases, these are not courses of action for most of the people, or certainly not for a significant majority. And you know, it's been said that no man's life, liberty, or property is safe while the legislature is in session. And in anticipation of the reopening of the Ontario legislature this past Monday, Ontario MPP Randy Hillier apparently opened a can of worms by exercising his freedom of speech. Here's Canada Polly's Mark Paralavos to explain. In Ontario, there will be a throne speech. So here's a tree of knowledge mentioning that. In Ontario, there will be a throne speech today. It will serve as the governing party's 2022 election platform to some extent. Rumor it will focus on more of the same lockdown, liberty-depriving stuff. Good for FP Ontario, awful for humanity. Um, yeah, so that's, that's not so good. Um, Randy Hillier was saying on Monday when the Ontario legislature re reopens, people should bring a pot of boiling hot tar and a case of feathers. Each politician who arrives deserves both a tar and feathering. Um, yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, Brian Lilly says that the tweet from Randy Hillier has been deleted now, but is, he is clearly advocating violence against other members of the legislature that he is a member of. He is following, his followers were liking and retweeting in the hundreds. This is shocking. Um, I, don't, I don't know that he was actually saying that, you, you know, to tar and feather the person literally. I think that's a figurative political term, Brian, <laughs> right? Uh, purposely misunderstanding something is not great, right? Um, here's ER Doc. No politician deserves a pass. The tar and feathering tweet started a Twitter hashtag, which, you know, interesting stuff when that kind of stuff happens organically. I have to confess that not for a moment did I take Hillier's tar and feather suggestion literally. I saw it as a moral condemnation, not as a call to violence. Now, I totally understand that the left would love to promote this as a call to violence, and therefore, again, in true projection style, call on the use of state violence to, of course, prevent any possible uprisings. But they're planning to do this regardless of what anyone on the perceived right says, and I think that. That's the direction they've been going since the beginning of this. But that wasn't the only tweet made in Hillier's string of tweets. There were four others, and I quote, it's not Soros, Gates, Fauci, or Schwab we need to fear, but those we elect, the cops who arrest pregnant moms at the arena or at Tim's, the bar owner or employer who asks for papers. They are the enemies of freedom and humanity and the collaborators, enablers of injustice. Our governments have been encouraging and coercing people to be dishonest and deceitful. Wearing a mask is dishonest. Supporting lockdowns is harmful. Getting the jab causes injury, not immunity. A society built on dishonesty is unsustainable. Either accept truth or ruin. We cannot fight or defeat evil through kindness, politeness, nor courteous comments. We are in a cultural war between those who desire and aspire to collective dishonesty and evil versus those who defend individual faith and freedom. Words are not enough. If your country was under siege, your family threatened, your freedoms removed, would you stand and fight? Would you bear arms? Are your children and their future worth defending? This is a survey, but soon it will be real and we will know the truth." End quote. Well, so the saying that words are not enough and asking if one would bear arms amount to a call for violence? 
Well, taken out of context, it certainly could be interpreted that way. But when Hillier says, if your country was under siege, your family threatened, I think what he's doing is trying to convey the reality that the country is under siege and that the whole COVID pandemic is not what we should be fearing. That's the reality. And in saying that words are not enough, as so many have been saying, you could see that as encouraging others to join protests, to stop complying with outrageous and irrational mandates like Chris Guy would recommend, or to get involved with the political process. Well, unlike Chris Guy in that case, but you get the point. Here again, I agree with the sentiment of Hillier's overall message, but I would have used the term individualism rather than individual faith. But everything he said about the lockdowns and how it's our own politicians who are the enemies of freedom is true. And it has to be said because too many people still don't realize this. Let's be real and recognize that an actual call to physical violence will not correct any of these conditions and would likely result in an act of self-destruction, given that the bad guys have all the guns and weaponry. Remember the words of Maxime Bernier. When a police officer arresting him for freely exercising his freedom of association at a political rally asked him if he had any weapons in his possession, Bernier replied, Only my words, only my philosophy. Bear in mind that the left insists that words are violence. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. This truth is alien to the left. For them, there's no divide between the metaphysical or the epistemological or between reality and reason, the process by which we discover reality. Operating on the primacy of consciousness rather than on the primacy of existence, the left treats words which have no physical substance, as if they were physical entities capable of physically harming people. But it is precisely because that is not so that freedom of speech has always had such a dampening effect on violence. The reason words may seem to be not enough is because our words aren't reaching enough people. And thanks to censorship and propaganda, the true words are not reaching enough people. And therein lies the key to the right's solution. Wake more people up with the right words. Obviously, words are enough for the propagandists because they control the major media markets and because it's their words that are being accepted as truth. Remember, totalitarians are terrified of words, so much so that censorship and the use of force are the only way they respond to words that call them into account. And then they use words to propagandize and manipulate others. Words are powerful. The expression of ideas through words is a form of action, even though the words themselves do not act, quote-unquote. Remember the saying? The pen is mightier than the sword. Always was, always will be. Persuasion and consent are always mightier than force and compliance, and even the left understands this. Hence all the propaganda. The fact that we still have a long way to go in our war of persuasion does not justify taking any shortcuts or becoming like the enemy. And no one's suggesting that. Coming up next, here's Alexa Lavoie of the Rebel News Media in her September 30th report on a protest against the mandatory vaccinations held in Toronto. What I found interesting was how many people in the street, both observers of the protest and participants, that she interviewed who were of completely different minds about everything from the lockdowns to the vaccination. So you see, not everyone's on the same page on this, but they're starting to come together. Hey guys, I'm in Toronto in Dundas Square 
a protest just started. I'm gonna ask them, what are y'all thinking about the new vaccine passport that just been uh, started here in uh, Ontario? And probably asking a couple of other questions, so keep watching. Why are you protesting today? So the main thing is to just get rid of this virus. As I said yesterday, it's been too much. People are fed up. And just having that rule after rule after rule, it's just non-stop. It just keeps going. I'm protesting because a lot of people are for masks, for vaccines. I want people to do whatever's right for their own safety. But there shouldn't be mandates. People shouldn't be losing their jobs, their freedoms over this. We're just against the mandates and for freedom, obviously. We just both lost our jobs at the hospital we work at. So we're here supporting freedom. I hope we'll finally feel start uh, to realize what's happening and take actions. I'm protesting the lockdown and the vaccine passports. I'm here for an education too. I want to learn more, keep learning. That's why I watch Rebel News, because I keep learning the truth. That's, that's why I'm here. Okay, I just wanted to give a quick message to the police force of Toronto. I think you guys are doing an amazing job. Uh, we're all behind you, and there may come times in your in your career shortly where you want to do something and you don't you don't feel like anybody ha has your back. You're all alone. You're not. Everyone here is on your side, and uh, saving lives will never ever go out of style. I ask people what they think about the protest that's going on in the other side of the street. So I think that people has you know the right to. Uh, you know, freedom of speech. So I think if they want to, uh, you know, express themselves saying that they're against vaccinations or against mask usage, I think they should have the right to do so. Uh, I personally, I like wearing a mask. I'm pro-vaccine, but as long as it's a pacific protest and there is, you know, they're not, uh, you know, there is no chaos. I think it's fair and valid because, you know, this is a free country. They're allowed to protest. I don't disagree with what they're saying, but uh, like, what what will I do? Like, I'm not gonna force them think a certain way or not do whatever they're doing. It's good that people is, is expressing themselves. Honestly, it's it's been almost two years. I just don't really care anymore. I'm, do, I'm double vaxxed. I got my job back. I got money in the bank off CERB. So, I mean, they can do them and I'm going to do me and yeah, freedom, right? What do you think about the vaccine passport? That's now a, it's a reality here in Ontario. Uh, well, I mean, I haven't really thought about it. I mean, the thing is that uh, I understand that uh, why people think it's uh, divisive, but uh, I think we have a pretty good idea so far that, uh, you know, the vaccines have uh, a positive effect in constraining the effects of the virus and its spread. And since the vaccine passport is now a reality for you uh, in Ontario, did that affect your lifestyle? It does if you let the fear in. If you, if you start forgetting where you come from, if you start forgetting the past. Because we were free. It wasn't that long ago. It did. I mean, here's the thing. Like, some people don't want to take it. Why? It's personal. They don't know what's in there. If I'm going to ask, if, if I'm going to get a shot that I don't know what's inside, why am I going to take it? Yes, yes it did, actually. Uh, it's kind of frightening, actually. I, uh, I, I have a daughter who's very, very liberal. Uh, she's absolutely convinced that if I didn't get a vaccine, I was going to die. It will, at some point. Because uh, employees uh, require a vaccine passport now. Uh, retails, but as much as I can, I will resist it. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty messed up. Yeah. So how did that affect your life? Well, we can't participate in society until we comply, which is a word that I absolutely detest. But yeah, we're, we're effectively not really members of society anymore. I can't make a living anymore. I can't participate in society like a normal person anymore. I'm not sick. <laughs> of course. Like, how, what am I supposed to, I'm a second class citizen now. There's ways around it for now, I'll say, but I mean, still, we're still, it's still participation. I don't, I'm not doing that. Almost the end of the protest, and fun fact, at the beginning it was, okay, that is a small protest, but fun fact, another protest came, like a rally came to join the other protests that were here at the square. So it was just amazing to see like the two convergence of protests bringing all together. So it was Alex of Urban News in Toronto downtown. What are you doing? Here to do a little swimming. You gotta wear a life jacket or else you can't come in. No, I'm good. Thank you though. Life jackets are mandatory. Mandatory to wear a life jacket when you swim? And when you're not swimming too. Why? Cases of people getting wet are going through the roof. It's a scary time. Put it on. But that doesn't mean they're drowning. People get wet every day. It's part of life. 0.00001182% of all people drown each year. That's practically everybody. So put on a life jacket. That doesn't make any logical sense. I'm not putting one on. I know how to swim. I I've had swimming lessons. Oh, swimming lessons? You think those exist? So what, you just think your body has this natural ability to traverse through water in a way that keeps your head up so you can still breathe? Yeah, it's called swimming. Never heard of it. Flotation devices are backed by science. You don't believe in science? I do, it's just... I know how to swim. You're kind of being racist right now. What? Look how his life jacket is keeping him from drowning. He's just standing in shallow water. Put a life jacket on now. You're putting everyone at risk of drowning. How am I putting everyone at risk? Their life jackets won't work unless you have one on. Does his life jacket work? Yes, very well. Then why would he need me to wear a life jacket when his life jacket already works? We have to protect the protected swimmers from the unprotected swimmers. But aren't they already protected? Yes very well protected so they should be fine they would be except they're not very well protected because of you look you gotta put one on or you can't go in this feels creepy so where would i get one? Oh, i'm selling them right here you're selling life jackets yes of course so you're demanding that everyone wear a life jacket while you are selling life jackets yes for their protection and they have to buy the life jacket from you indeed don't you think that's a conflict of interest no conflict of interest that i can think of how much money have you made this year from life jackets mm, 27 billion dollars seems like you're more interested in making money than keeping people safe from the you're an anti-science anti-life jacket climate change denier with cases of people getting wet going through the roof, I'm going to need you to buy a life jacket from me and put it on or else you'll never have access to swimming pools, showers, rain or drinking water ever again. You're treating me like I'm the enemy. If you're concerned with people drowning, shouldn't you be treating water like it's the danger instead of treating me like I'm the danger? Your body's made up of 70% water, so you're basically a ticking time bomb. Put one on. Buddy, you are the last person I'd want to take direction from. You're so pushy. It's creeping me out. 
You're like the Harvey Weinstein of lifeguards. Thank you. But look, just today a man up the road died from drowning in a head-on collision car accident because he wasn't wearing his life jacket. Wouldn't he have died from the car accident? A bottle of water was found in the car counts as a water death. That doesn't make any sense. God works in mysterious ways, and there is no God, so you'll need to obey me. Oh my God, he's drowning! Help him! Sir, please get out of the pool and put this life jacket on. He can't get out, he's drowning! Grab the edge of the pool, it's right behind you! Just reach for it! No, 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 that's not an approved method of protection against drowning. It's quite dangerous, actually. Just grab the edge! Do not do that, it's unapproved. For God's sake, just grab the edge! Could we censor him, please? For your protection, do not grab the edge. Help him, your lifeguard! Okay, I will. You should have put a life jacket on while you still had the chance. You're kind of getting what you deserve. Look what you did to him, you monster. This never would have happened if you had a life jacket on. Now put a life jacket on. Okay. Now that you're fully protected, enjoy your swim. Ah, I'll need to see proof that you're wearing a life jacket. Show me your papers. You're listening to Just Right Broadcasting Around the World and Online. Now, you have to admit that the logic employed in justifying mandatory life jackets is exactly the logic being applied to mandatory vaccines. You know, life jacket ethics, I guess, eh? <laughs> the sheer irrationality of it cripples one's ability to accept the reality of it. Take, for example, what happened to this fellow. Here again, brought to our attention by Canada Polly. Um, here is a guy who got COVID, and he is double vaxxed he says he got his entire family sick he says i'm not happy about this here we go the coughing is just terrible at the beginning of this so apologies about that but here we go 2021 i am fully vaccinated <coughs> i caught covid getting over covid <coughs> I've infected my dad. I've infected my mom, who are both vaccinated. My son, 14 years old, has both of his Pfizer shots. Now has COVID. I've infected my ex-wife. I've infected my daughter. I've infected my family, my kids, people I love most, and I'm fully vaccinated. I got sick. I went in, got tested. My test came back negative because of my viral load wasn't high enough because I'm fully vaccinated. My viral load didn't get high enough for the test to test positive. So I infected everybody that I love. Well, at least he believes he infected them. But how can you possibly prove that, given that all of the people in his family have been vaxxed? How do we know that one of them didn't infect him? Or how do we know they weren't all infected by their own vaccinations? The majority of so-called cases in hospitals today are the vaccinated, despite denials of this fact. You know, I've spent several hours over the past week watching the latest discoveries made by independent doctors and researchers about what is in these so-called vaccines. And I have to tell you, it's a continuing nightmare of unprecedented proportions. I actually thought I'd be devoting today's entire show to these findings, but I'm going to save that one for later. But the sad fact is that most people getting the vaccines aren't doing it for health reasons, but for freedom reasons. And that means for political reasons. 
and it is politics and not health that motivates Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to become a hate monger. And coming up next is an example of his hatred as presented on Kate Wan's September 26 video entitled Why Totalitarians Promote Hate. The comments by Trudeau that you're about to hear on this side of the bumper were originally embedded throughout Wan's presentation, but they were so enraging and offensive, I isolated them so that we could truly hear just how obsessed Trudeau is. Kate Wan's comments on why totalitarians like Trudeau promote hate remain intact on the return side of the bumper. Yes, there is a small fringe element in this country that is angry, that doesn't believe in science, that is lashing out with racist, misogynistic attacks. But Canadians, the vast majority of Canadians, are not represented by them. And I know will not allow those voices, those special interest groups, those protesters who can, I don't even want to call them protesters, those anti-vaxxer mobs to dictate how this country gets through this pandemic and how we recover our economy free from lockdowns where people can get back to work and back to doing the things they want to do and keep our kids safe. They don't get to dictate policy of this government. When someone comes into a restaurant, they'll know they won't be sitting beside a table of people who are unvaccinated. When you go into a gym, when you go to a movie theater, you need to know that if you've done the right things, you get to be safe. You get to be rewarded for having done the right things. That's what it's all about. And those people who still hesitate, who still resist, well, they won't get to enjoy the same things that those who've done their part for others. It seems like a very logical thing. It seems like a very obvious thing. To endanger my kids and endanger us all of future lockdowns and risk all of us having a slower recovery. If you make a choice, a personal choice, to not get vaccinated, then I will have no sympathy for you when you come to me and said, oh, but I can't go out to a restaurant with my friends, or I'm not being allowed to go to the gym, or my employer uh, is telling me I have to continue to work from home. Uh, you don't have a right to endanger others. In the true believer, social philosopher Eric Hoffer observed, mass movements can rise and spread without belief in a god, but never without belief in a devil. Hoffer recounts that before the final solution, when Hitler was asked whether he thought the Jew must be destroyed, he demurred. We should have then to invent him. It is essential to have a tangible enemy, not merely an abstract one. Nazis argued that Jews were vermin that spread disease. If he thought that most Germans saw through the propaganda and merely went along because they were intimidated, you would be wrong. German doctors claimed that Jews were especially responsible for outbreaks of typhus. They published essays claiming that Jewish people's supposedly low cultural level and uncleanliness were to blame. 
yesterday's low cultural level has morphed into labeling the unvaccinated and those not in step with COVID policy as anti-science who manifest villainous disregard for the safety of others. After the invasion so of Poland, German public health officials repeatedly urged occupation authorities to isolate Jews further from the rest of the population and deny them access to medicine. In the face of widespread illiberalism, if we are resigned to think that there is little we can do, we will get the politicians we deserve. If you wish to induce a state of compliance in your would-be constituency, it is clearly an advantage to frighten them and then offer them a loaded choice. Be saved or be damned. Look them in the eyes and tell them you're doing all you can to stop the spread of COVID-19. I, I guess my feeling at this point in time is maybe we need to be completely a little bit more scary for the public. The country as large as ours, that's 25% minority, can cause an awful lot of damage. And they are causing a lot of damage. The unvaccinated overcrowd our hospitals, overrunning emergency rooms and intensive care units. Hoffer explained how totalitarians use a sense of grievance to drive people to submit to authority. Grievances will arise in your mind, but you don't need to hold on to them. Totalitarians can only exploit the hate in your mind that you cultivate. For a moment, forget about more significant societal issues and get personal. Take back your personal projections. Learn from others' mistakes. If you remain unaware of your projections, politicians will exploit your grievances. So I'm wondering if you can reflect for a moment and think, have you played a role in inflaming some of the rhetoric no matter what side of an issue you're on, don't make arguments that begin with there is no other way, all sensible people know, and the like. Biden's executive order villainizes employees for reasonable concerns and hesitancies and inserts the federal government into individual medical decisions. People should not be made to feel uncomfortable for making a reasonable medical choice. As Hoffer explained, when we don't see the humanity in others, we provide oxygen to authoritarians. Oppose authoritarianism by seeing the humanity in everyone you meet. Awareness of your thinking patterns help you make different choices. When we lose our individual independence to the corporateness of a mass movement, we find a new freedom. Freedom to hate, bully, lie, torture, murder, and betray without shame and remorse. We're going to move to a situation where to protect the health system we're going to lock out people who are not vaccinated and can be. If you're making the choice not to get vaccinated then you're making the wrong choice. You're making the wrong choice and for safety's sake and for the back to that point about how much work our nurses have to do as this becomes absolutely a pandemic of the unvaccinated and we open everything up it's not going to be safe for people who are not vaccinated to be roaming around the place spreading the virus that's what they'll be that's what they'll be doing the market system is so good at getting people from all over the world to work together that we barely notice how much we're cooperating we are noticing the impact of less human cooperation as controls undermine the rights of individuals to make personal medical decisions totalitarians reduce human cooperation don't be a cheerleader for their illiberal schemes. As human cooperation decreases and hatred increases, 
not just the people the mandates are directed against, will suffer. The oxygen of capitalism is cooperation. The oxygen of totalitarians is hatred for differences. What truly struck me about Trudeau's hate rant was that not once did he mention health or curing people from any disease. All he's doing is promoting political rewards for those who comply and submit to his orders. One of our listeners forwarded to my attention a tweet by Tanya the Herbalist. Quote, It was supposed to be a fight against the pandemic to protect the people. It became a fight against the people to protect the pandemic. End quote. And of course, this makes even more sense and becomes infinitely more valid when you recognize that the pandemic is a political one. Trudeau's words were beyond disgusting and unconscionable. And to attempt to describe just how evil Trudeau is, you know, I have to resort to Hillier's observation that words are not enough. <laughs> they really aren't. Canada's Prime Minister, Trudeau, is so disconnected from his constituents that he might as well be an alien from another planet. And as a globalist, he's already alien to this nation. Trudeau is using hatred as a political means to divide and conquer. Hatred has never been a prescription for curing any disease, but it has always been a tool of political persuasion and false polarizations. Humphrey, I'm talking about what's right and wrong. Surely we should use the debate to promote peace, harmony, goodwill. Well, it would be most unusual. <laughs> the UN is the accepted forum for the expression of international hatred. The issue of hate, of course, is never about hate itself. It's about who or what is being hated and how. Funken Wagnalls describes hate, quote, as regarding with extreme aversion, to detest, to dislike, as in, I hate doing that. To feel hatred, an extreme feeling of dislike or animosity. You know, when philosopher-novelist Ayn Rand spoke of hatred, it was always in the context of envy. And she termed this hatred as being the hatred of the good for being the good. And by that, she wanted it made clear that the haters of the good do in fact regard as good those values and people whom they have chosen to hate. Quote, The emotional mechanism is not set in reverse, but is set one way. Its exponents do not experience love for evil men. Their emotional range is limited to hatred or to indifference. It is impossible to experience love, which is a response to values, when one's automatized response to values is hatred. End quote. Our political leaders have gotten themselves backed into an unresolvable disaster of their own making. Their only recourse now is to look for scapegoats on which to project their failures and their hatreds and their sheer immoralities. Words may at times feel inadequate in addressing irrationality and evil. But words are still our best weapon, the only one we have in which we'll keep using when you join us again next week as we continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. This is Colonel Stiefer of the SS. He has a special assignment for you. A pleasure, Colonel, a real pleasure. Whatever I can do for the SS will be a real privilege. And I am deeply moved by being chosen for this task. I hope that this handshake will mark the beginning of a long and lasting friendship. The SS 
personal friends. <laughs> yes, sir, I think you've got a good idea on that. After all, when you add up what you spend on dinner parties, lunchtons, gifts, I mean, who needs the expense of friendship when a little hatred doesn't cost you a cent? 